Our next guest on the Atomic Podcast, ladies and gentlemen, director, producer, and YouTube sensation, the icon, Robert Meyer Burnett. This is the icon of YouTube, the notorious RMB, the Viceroy of Verisimilitude, and you are about to listen to the Atomic Podcast. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Hey, welcome back. The notorious, the gangsta, the icon of YouTube, the RMB, Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, welcome back, man. You know, it's what an intro, by the way. It's great to be here. Uh, always good to talk to you. And, um, you know, it's strange. As the years tick by, your reputation on YouTube just gets more and more notorious. What can I say? I know, man. There's so many names that people have bestowed upon you. It's not games like me. People call me Mr. Trivia, and it's because, like, you know, they ask me a question, and I, and I, and I know, like, random facts that's not going to save the world, but random facts about movie facts. People make up names about you because they give it to you. They bestowed it upon you. I'm going to I'm gonna give you the name of the icon of YouTube. And I don't, I don't, I don't care if you use it or not, but in my opinion... And for your reputation, which is a, a very respectful reputation, you are and always will be the icon of YouTube. Well, that's that's very nice of you to say. Thank you very much. <laughs> and, ho- and hopefully, because I know there's a lot of talented people that that will give you um, a lot of stuff. Please, somebody, if you're hearing this, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, because a lot of people listen, they just do YouTube now. If you're listening to this podcast, make up a, a drawing, make up a Robert as the icon of YouTube, him crushing all the YouTube channels. No offense to the YouTube channels, but you standing on top of YouTube with, with, with a, like a championship belt on it, like the way you had in the Schmodown, a championship belt. You know, on top of YouTube. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> and, you know, we were talking a little bit before I started recording about, like, the revenues of YouTube. And, um, you know, people look at you like, oh, he's got it made. But no, because you're hustling. You're you're doing, you know, you're doing my show. You're doing other people's show. You you know, you're contributing to, your you know, your talent, your voice, your melodious tones to other shows besides Rob Servations and Midnight Metal. Men, um, like I was asking you before, are you wearing the pens? Like, how do you keep afloat? And, like, you're drinking, you're eating, and, you know, you're drinking wine, you're drinking beer. <laughs> Like your liver must be doing awesome, man. <laughs> well, you know it's funny. Uh, only because during uh, put on a few pounds during uh, during lockdown here on COVID, so I've I've knocked out beer. But yeah, I mean, I just people always said like, oh, when it comes to alcohol, I just like drinking. <laughs> like, that means you're an alcoholic, and I'm like, well, I mean, I can stop whenever I want to. So, you know. With in terms of beer, I stopped drinking beer, and I've I've now moved over to Pellegrino mm. water because I I love Pellegrino. I just like I guess I guess look, I love all kinds of alcohols. I love wine, and we do whining about movies, and the show is about drinking wine. But yeah, people are always like, dude, you drink too much. I'm like, no, I just like the act of drinking, you know. And and so I love Pellegrino, and they they've been having sales on it at the grocery store, so I've been buying it. In Now someone's going to say, you know, Pellegrino has too many minerals in it. I'm like, okay, well, 
mean, uh, maybe drinking sparkling water is not the not the best thing in the world. I don't know, yeah. but um, as long as I, I as long as I can feel liquid going down my throat, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's 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 true what they say. You know, you you beer makes you fat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like go figure. And so basically, what I started doing now is just pretty much eating keto. Uh, a, a lot of protein and then a lot of um, like I, I've been eating copious amounts of carrots and celery with meals okay <laughs> and, uh, it's so weird <laughs> but uh, uh, it's amazing like and uh, uh, how the pounds just melt off stop drinking beer and um, it's amazing how the pounds just melt off of you <laughs> so you <laughs> so you don't drink your vanilla beer no more that you used to get at what is it Trader Joe's used to buy yeah, that vanilla vanilla porter vanilla I, porter I yeah. get that at a local Vons nah you know I mean maybe I'll come back six months to to, to but yeah you gotta and the thing is I coming from Seattle growing up when I first began my drinking career we had a lot of great craft beer yeah. the Pacific Northwest has a lot of great craft beer so if you like beer and I, I like beer like I don't I'm not like no offense to Michelob Light or something like that. I can't. <laughs> I don't drink any beer. I'm a beer snob. And, um, I do. I love craft beers, you know, and, and foreign beers, Belgian beers. Uh, I'm a big, big, big fan. And that's one of the things I like to do when I travel is, uh, whether I'm overseas or something, to, f to drink local hooch. Whether it's locally produced spirits like whiskeys or vodkas. And I love drinking uh, locally produced uh, beers and uh, it's I think it's great it's great and especially because you know I think that there's an art like obviously like anything else I just I, I just like things that people make I like the fruits of human imagination and labor mm -hmm. and that's uh, maybe I get that from like the late great John Schnepp that I used to stream with on Collider Heroes he loved people's creations like if somebody made a t-shirt design or somebody made a, a a figure like an art figure or something or whatever anybody made he took such delight in that and I, I feel kind of the same way like I love it people like you were saying earlier people have made pictures of me they've come up with nicknames for me and they send me artwork of me and I'm like I'll use it you know, because it's, yeah. it's so it's so nice to um that people take the time to do that. And we used to get some amazing artwork on Collider Heroes that people would actually, not only would they make it, but they would send it to the studio, you know? And, yeah. and so it's not just people, it, they wouldn't just send it over the internet. They've, they would send it to you in the mail. And, and I have some pretty beautiful paintings that people did. I have one, a guy did of me as the collector uh, from Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, it's me and it's, it's a great painting. Like, going ha, 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 and I'm holding up all my action figures yeah. <laughs> and it's fantastic and I, I, I think that especially during the last year we always we spent in lockdown being on YouTube and streaming and, and meeting people I've met people from all over the world wow. and talked with people in, in, in real time and I think for all the cynicism that people have these days especially if you're a fan of I call everyone imagination connoisseurs, but if you're a fan of science fiction, fantasy, horror, movies, comics, video games, uh, streaming series, whatever, there's a, it's worldwide. And so there's fans everywhere, and it's just fantastic to be able to talk to people and meet people from around the planet. It's been, for me, it's been a very um, uplifting time.
even though, uh, you know, I see what's going on in India today and I just shake my head. I can't believe it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy because, like, in a way, quarantine was sort of like a blessing and a curse because I think everyone's, not everyone's, but the majority of the people's creativity came out under being locked down and, you know, not being able to work or going to the store just to buy toilet paper, food, and hand sanitizer. You know, we like, it, it's just funny how a different a year makes from, you know, we had a different president and we were, like, struggling and we had to wear masks. You know, people still do have to wear masks, but now, like, the mandate in certain states is going down. And um, I think the creative, I think even for yourself, like, as an outsider looking at you, I think your creative juices started to spark more with quarantine. Am I right on that assumption? Yeah, well, you know, absolutely. It's it's really interesting. Um, so when we locked down here in L.A., which in March of 2020, mm-hmm like March 16th or something. Um, I, I had produced a movie back in 2008. It came out in 2009. It was a direct-to-video horror film called The Hills Run Red Yes, that came out from uh, Warner Brothers label Warner Archive. And it had never come out on Blu-ray before. And we found out Scream Factory, which is one of the great home video companies, boutique labels that put out, they put out horror films, uh, was going to put it out. And we had contacted Scream Factory and said, look, you know, we've got a ton of special features. Like I had shot 30 hours of footage that I had never really looked at all of it. Interviews with the cast. And I said, you know, we've got all this stuff and I've got all this archival material that I actually shot on location. And I did these interviews eight, uh, in 2008 in Bulgaria where we shot the movie. And then Dave Parker, the director my very good friend who I do Midnight Metal with, he concentrated on creating new material where he did new interviews with screenwriter Dave Scow and himself, and he recorded some audio commentaries with other filmmakers that talked about the film. So he was concentrating on that, and then this was starting in lockdown. I mean, other than YouTube streams, I had really nothing to do. You couldn't go out anywhere or do anything. So from mid-March to May 1st, our delivery date was May 1st, I just worked all day. And I think we created like six and a half hours of material and I was able to go back and get look through these all this footage. And I literally used every scrap that was worth that was usable and created these new documentaries. And it was crazy because normally in the past, when I've done all my DVD special features, you would deliver it. And maybe six months later, the disc would come out. Mm-hmm. But in this case, we delivered all of our material in May and the disc came out June 16th. So uh, 45 days later, it came out, and it was really gratifying to see. And it was even nominated for a Rondo Award, which is the every year the Rondo Awards, which are excellence in horror across many different mediums. uh, Our our disc was nominated, and it's not going to win because even I would say it shouldn't win because we've got so many. Uh, there's so many great things that came out this past year, whether it was the Friday the 13th box set or the Dawn of the Dead box set, things that I would have voted for. But it was nice to be nominated to see that the first work that I did in quarantine, you know, I literally where I stream where I'm talking to you from, I'm in my, I have a garage, I call it the Robservatory, <laughs> where, yeah. where I literally do all my work in here. And I've got almost everything I own is surrounding me and books and physical media and model kits and all that. And so I'm here all the time. And I've been so, like you said, so creative. I've been working on, I worked on our, uh, this, this, uh, adult anime series that's on Netflix called Dota Dragon's Blood. Again, you know, I worked on editorial 
here editing the animatics and then also when we get our premixes our sound premixes back from korea uh i go through them all and make notes for the showrunner about what we should do or change or you know just make, to make the show better and i do that here as well and i'm working on a screenplay and then i'm working on the animatics for that screenplay and uh, it's just it's endless and I'm cutting a trailer today, you know, it's, it's just, it, yeah, it, it never, I mean, I love it because I'm working on so many things. And then the feature film that I produced, uh, Tango Shalom, is on the festival circuit now. And because people can't go to festivals, they're all virtual. Mm -hmm. So I've had to send copies of our movie, files of our movie, literally everywhere. It, it played in two festivals in India. It played in Turkey. Uh, it's at the Miami Film Festival right now. It's going to be uh, in a bunch of other film festivals, and they all need their all, all all their individual files in different sizes, and everybody needs something different. So I'm I'm working on that from here and sending those out all the time, and it's 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 crazy. And then of course all the podcasts and things. But it, in a way, it's been very inspiring because, like you said, I've done so much in the last year. Uh, I. I have I, I I've just been very creatively energized, and it's been a lot of fun. And and in addition to meeting uh, everyone, yeah, like so, I yeah all over the world, yeah. And I don't think even like I'm I'm sure you still would have met a lot of people, but I think quarantine gave you the creative freedom to collaborate with a lot of people. And what I like about you and what I respect about you is you would, you will collaborate with everyone. You don't look down upon everyone. You look everyone as everyone has something to bring to the table. Doesn't matter where you come from, what state you live in, what country you live in, what your ethnicity is. If someone's creative and you respect that, you'll work with them. And I think a, not a lot of YouTubers or directors or producers or creators would do that. So like that says a lot about you as an individual and as a person as well oh well thank you i mean i you know i think it comes down to the fact that i i began my life i was a fan since i was like five mm -hmm. and and one of the great things when when i was growing up i mean i was a pretty social kid i had yeah i played sports i i was involved in school i i was in cub scouts you know i i loved girls i had girlfriends and, but my love of science fiction fantasy and horror was something that was not shared by most people. So I didn't have people like, dude, I was into it. As I've told you before, I mean, I'd spend my evenings at home after school, like with blueprints of the Starship Enterprise spread out <laughs> around me. Now, I didn't want anyone necessarily to know I was doing that because they'd think that, well, that's odd. Yeah. But I, you know, whether it was comic books or, or novels or, I mean, I remember, I, I, I just didn't have friends that shared those interests because yeah. obviously there was no internet and people weren't that into it back then. I mean, I would there'd be like some raging high school party that was happening. Everyone's oh, Rob, we'll see you at the party. And I, I wouldn't say, I'm like, well, I'm not coming because they're showing Star Trek 1, 2, and 3 <laughs> in 70 millimeter at the Lewis and Clark cinemas and I'm driving out there and I'm going <laughs> to see it. You know, and I'd go by myself and I, I, I would would do that and then everyone's like oh man you we missed you at the party and and everyone's like oh you must be bummed you missed it and i'm like no <laughs> where were you oh you know i had stuff to do i wasn't gonna say i was watching three star trek movies in 70 millimeter <laughs> so, so you know it was it was but now because of the internet the world especially the fan community is so vibrant i mean it's always been vibrant online 
Like I used to be in chat boards talking about Star Trek on AOL in the nineties. You know, yeah. like wow, Ron Moore is coming into this AOL chat board. Let's talk about Deep Space Nine. You know, and it was it was amazing. And now with the with the internet the way it is, I mean, you can talk to anybody. Like on on the four hundredth episode of of my show Raw Observations on YouTube, I just reached out to people like. I interviewed David Goodman, who's the president of the Writers Guild of America. He's an executive producer of the Orville. And like, I kind of knew him. And I just reached out and I said, hey, can I interview you for the show? Yeah. And um, he did. And then I interviewed like Brian Fuller, who created Hannibal. And, uh, you know, it's it's been amazing. I reached out to Barbara Crampton, who I'd never met personally, but we knew each other via social media. And yeah. I was able to get these great interviews with people. And and um put them on the show like my 700th episode it's now a year later my 700th episode's coming up and um i'm i'm trying to get interviews for that show now and just reaching out to some people uh to see if they'll do it yeah and um it's it's been great i mean it's been so much fun you know i was streaming this is so awesome i was streaming with these guys i love the midnight's edge channel like andre yes. and tom and rob and i met paulie who is latino slant he he, he shows he's goes by the name latino slant mm-hmm. and i was streaming with them and somehow we got talking about the movie blood in blood out yes bound by honor is, yes yeah it's a bound by honor and directed by taylor hackford who directed like officer and a gentleman and the devil's advocate and it was based on uh uh Jimmy Baca Santiago, he's a he's a Chicano poet, very famous, and a lot of the movie was based on his work, and he came and worked on the script, and we both, all three of us, we're just talking about how much we love this movie, and they tell me, they're like, we're going to do a Blood In, Blood Out cast reunion, and I was like, really? <laughs> Look, that's so random, like, you know, not a lot of people know Blood In, Blood Out, yeah. it's kind of hard to see. And so they're like, yeah, would you want to be a part of it? And I'm like, heck yeah. And I, I said, well, uh, are you going to talk to the director, Taylor Hackford? And they're like, oh, no. I mean, um, we don't know who, how to get a hold of him. And I'm like, I'll bet I know a few people that know him and I'll see. So I made a few calls and I've indeed uh, coming back to me, uh, this executive producer I know, he's like, yep, here's his assistant's email. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> so I reach out I reach out to Taylor Hackford's assistant and I explain what we're going to do and the assistant comes back and says well who do you have lined up for this and we had most of the cast like Benjamin Bratt and everything He, he I got a, an immediate email back oh Taylor Hackford's in oh, and wow. I said look you know Maybe if he only wants to stay for for 15 minutes that's fine and then they write back and they say do you have Jimmy Baca Santiago yeah. Jimmy Santiago Baca and I, I I'm like no what would you like to get him? Here's his email, you know, and he's like this famous poet. So I contacted him and then, or I, I think I, I told Polly to contact him, uh, because Polly also speaks, he's Spanish. So, yeah. so he could speak Spanish yeah. and, and they both come on the stream and it was like this, the stream lasts like five hours, but they were on for like two hours wow. along with Benjamin Brad. It was epic. It was just this epic stream. I, I, I loved it so much. And, um, uh, it was so such a cool thing. I'm like, this never would have happened like five years ago. So how would somebody look for it on YouTube? It's just um, Blood In, Blood Out reunion on YouTube. Like how would somebody... yeah, cast reunion? I think that's I think that's where it would be. The Blood In, Blood Out cast reunion, um, and it's it is uh, in fact uh, it's midnight. It's on Midnight's Edge, and you can find it. I mean, 
it's it's really incredible. And I ended up, you know, they asked me, they're like, hey, Rob, can you moderate this? Like, <laughs> oh, great. Okay. You know, and I'm like, sure. Yeah. It was it was just the best thing ever. Oh, that is so awesome! And look at that. You th- you like if you think um if you wasn't on this on the YouTube space, would this would have ever happen to you? Like, you see, like you know, I you said like you know, so. yeah, like you know how you said like you was collaborating with people. You're collaborating, and look what happened. You know, a movie that you like and yeah, respect yeah. it. You know, it's so amazing. <laughs> oh no, absolutely, and um, uh, it, it is. It, 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 that's what's so great about it is all the people that you know are now meeting and, and getting together and and uh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah, and blood in and blood I mean, out. I, just, I love it so much. Yeah, and that's a cult classic movie, man. That's a cult classic. I oh, love yeah. that movie. To me, like my top, like I don't know if you want to say urban or ghetto movies or or like uh, like you know like like me and my friends where we say like you know oh we love our hood movies like we'll say we love Boys in the Hood, we'll love Scarface, right. Carlito's Way. Like I, I I classify Blood and Blood Out in that type of that type of field, that type of movie, and and um, American oh, it me totally is you know. I, I mean, it's about East Los Angeles, you know, and and the Mexican mafia, Lunda, you yeah. know, and, <laughs> and uh, it, it's uh, it is, but it's a it it really is about a whole culture, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, L.A. There's such a vibrant Chicano cult, culture here in Los Angeles, and it's all that from many different perspectives. And it's I I'm a huge uh, huge fan of that movie. I was just, I used to call it the East Los because it takes place in East Los Angeles. The East Los Godfather. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just you know this multi generator multi. It's about three characters, like the three brothers and the Godfather, and following them. One's an artist, and one becomes a cop, and the yeah. other one goes into jail and joins the Mexican mafia. And yeah. um, I, I I just I've always loved the film. Yeah, it's such a great and powerful film, and you know it doesn't get a lot of credit that it deserves. You know, I think it's more goes in like the cult classic instead of like a mainstream classic, don't you think? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's such a specific kind of a movie. Yeah. And what's interesting is I think that it's a lot more relevant even now than it was when it came out in the early '90s. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost thirty years old, and um, I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's. Um, I think it's a really great film. And it was just so much fun to talk to everybody who brought it to life. They all had such a great time. And uh, there's so many great stories that people were telling. So it was a lot of, it was just a great thing. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. People here to check it out on the Midnight Edge channel, Blood and Blood Out Cash Reunion. If you haven't seen that film, it's an awesome film. You know? Yeah. And it spe- really is. Yeah. And speaking of films, let me get this. I'm going to put you on the spot on this, Rob. Let me get your top five hood films hood films regarding it could be you know like like you said latino uh, black or like like new jack city for example what is your top yeah, five say, new jack city is at the top not maybe not it's not number one okay but it's totally it, 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 because uh nino brown yes <laughs> wesley yes. snipes and and to add to that i'd have to add a training day Yes, Training Day. Yes, okay. Training Day. I mean, there's so many because you're, you're saying hood movies, so I'm I'm a I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say Scarface. I see Scarface is bigger than that. Yeah. But 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 I, I'd have to add. Okay, so uh, New Jack City, Training Day, mm-hmm. Menace to Menace to Society. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, set it off. Yes. With oh. Queen Latifah. Set yeah. it off. Um, uh, colors. 
Yes. Gotta go with colors. Oh my god. Um, um, let's see what other what other. Uh, well, first of all, the granddaddy to me of the hood film of the modern hood film, the the, the Star Wars of hood movies. <laughs> Is the Warriors? Yes. Oh my fucking go god! With, yes. I gotta go with the Warriors. The Warriors is to me ground zero of the modern hood movie. Yes. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then maybe if you want to go even further back, and this is going to get a little, would be the original West Side Story. Yep. You, you know, know what? About, yeah. About the the Puerto Ricans and the and the white kids fight the gangs fighting in New York, which Steven Spielberg <laughs> remade. I, mean, yep. I I I love West Side Story. I know it's a musical made in the '60s, but come on, you know it's it's people die in that movie. Yeah, <laughs> even though they sing Maria, <laughs> I just met a girl named Maria, and suddenly my life will never be the same again. You know, I mean that's a hood movie. Yeah, yeah. And then there's another there's another great movie called The Wanderers. The Wanderers that Ooh. came up that Philip Kaufman who direct, who who came up with the idea for. Raiders of the Lost Ark with George Lucas. Yeah. He directed. But yeah, the, the the modern, I mean, it's what's really interesting about the Warriors is that in the Warriors, to for a gang member to use a gun was almost like sacrilegious. Mm-hmm. You know, you had to get in there and fight. Yeah. And now you jump ahead, not even 10 years, and you're looking at New Jack City, which came out in 87, and everyone's got MAC-10s, and they're all strapped with gats in their pockets, you know, and they're killing each other with guns. Like, it totally changed. Yeah. <laughs> because now now with the, the drug trade and all that. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I love movies about, you know, and you could say, like, Boys in the Hood, mm-hmm. all that that kind of, of but, but I think that to be a great hood movie, you've got to have gangs fighting. You, know, yeah. you gotta have, you gotta have gunplay. Yeah, <laughs> it's <horrible>. like, <laughs> but there are movies like the, the uh, if you go a step up from that, like your Scarfaces, like your Carlitos ways, like your you know Goodfellas, because that's Goodfellas. Really, there's so much of it that is in the hood. You know, the Italian neighborhoods and what they did. But I see that as a little bit more highbrow. Like those hood movies, gangster movies are above hood movies. But hood movies can be gangster movies, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like now that I've never talked about it like this before, but I'm thinking, okay, to me, there's that that street level, and once you once you move into opulence, like once the gangsters like Tony Montana, once he has millions of dollars selling his yayo, then he's got a mansion and he has a tiger. <laughs> then he's no longer in the hood, man. Yeah. <laughs> hood movie. If you leave the hood somewhere in the movie and you become Rich and powerful, it's no longer a hood movie. Whereas, yeah. you know, Training Day or, or End of Watch, you know, and Cop, because I also like movies about cops that are in the hood, like Colors, <laughs> yes. like End of Watch, like Training Day, because those are still hood movies. Because yeah. <laughs> those are street movies. And most recently, um, it's not, I don't know if it, you'd call it a hood movie, it's more of a cop thriller. It, there's a movie called Destroyer that stars uh, uh, Nicole Kidman as a cop. Man, it is hardcore, hardcore. If you haven't seen uh, Destroyer or a movie called with Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson called Dragged Across Concrete, oh. they play cops. Man, that's uh, that again is hardcore. <laughs> but and then I, and then I also like you know there's hood movies in other countries. There's yeah. like the Guy Ritchie gangster movies that are in uh, like set in, in London. Or uh, you, you Asian gang movies and things like that. So <laughs> hood movies can be worldwide. They can be global. 
Yeah. Yep. Somebody's got to do the Hood Movie Film Festival. And as an upper, I mean, as a upper age, middle age, I'm a middle aged cis white male. So if I start talking about Hood Movies, I could get canceled. Oh my God! Yeah, I'm like, come on. Yeah, man. yeah, like you know, like I know you talked about it before. I don't really want to bring it up, but the whole shit with um this dude calling you out. What's the fuck is his name? Um, uh, RB3, oh, RB3. Yeah, yeah, that shit really fucking pissed me off, to be honest with you, because that was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, right, right. You know? I, what, yeah, I got a little canceled because I had tweeted a. There was a police captain. Uh, uh, retired police captain David Dorn who during the BLM protests of last summer he got killed he was killed by armed robbers who under the cover of the riots went to a pawn shop to rip it off Mm -hmm. and he was gunned down by protecting that store by a guy an armed robber they Mm -hmm. specifically they were not protesters and I I watched a video. It was this really disturbing video. This guy, David Dorn, was father of five and grandfather of ten. And someone made a video where they just walked up to him. He's dead on the sidewalk. And it was so disturbing to me. And I was just thinking, here's a guy who is in his 70s. He has a family. He went to protect a store. And he got gunned. Black man. That got eventually, we found out, it was another younger black kid who killed him. Yeah. And I had tweeted along with this video. I said, you want outrage, motherfuckers? Where's somebody exercising their Second Amendment rights to protect this man? Mm-hmm. And and it, it was with that video. And I thought it was pretty apparent that I was being, you know, it was a, it was I was being darkly humorous uh, in, a, in a very, very sardonic way. Like I was pissed. And I'm like, this guy didn't deserve to die. Where was somebody with a gun that mm-hmm. could have protected him? Exactly. And what had happened was then. What I said, my tweet, was taken out of context, and and it was retweeted without the original video of David Dorn. Mm-hmm. So and it was played like I was advocating killing looters. Yeah, and it, it wasn't about that at all. It was about this one specific incident. And when the when when RB three, who I liked by the way, I mean we'd worked together and for for years at the Schmodown, and I thought he did good work and. He was the one that was retweeting it, and I, I, I got mad, and I said back to him online on Twitter, I said, fuck you, man, that's not what I meant, and you took my words out of context, and you're trying to, you're trying to, to, to change what I was, the meaning of what I was saying yeah. into something else, and that's when, and then it, then it went pretty far, then I, but even before he did that, I issued an apology, I made an apology video and threw it up on YouTube, even before there was some problem. Mm-hmm. So my apology video for not exactly wording it, not, and, and also saying fuck you to somebody I, I liked, mm-hmm. that was where I think I really went wrong, is I was disrespectful mm-hmm. to him. Mm-hmm. Somebody we worked together, I should have contacted him privately and said, look, dude, I mean, come on, why, why'd you, you took my words out of context and you're not, you know, you're not, you're not being fair to what it was I was trying to say. And I didn't do that. And, and it just, it, it, it exploded. And then all of a sudden I had people I'd worked with for a long time at the Schmodown calling me a trash person. And I'm like, do you guys yeah. even watch my YouTube show? It's all about inclusion. And, but yeah. you know, things get out of hand in this day and age. And, uh, you know, I think that there is, what I learned is there is certain gratification that comes along with when you see somebody you perceive as doing something wrong. I think a lot of people feel that that they're being activists or they're being helpful when they go after people that they perceive to be 
doing something wrong or saying something wrong. What I found inter- what I found interesting is that, you know, I, I didn't really know anyone at the Schmodown outside of the work that we did. I showed up and I played this big, loudmouth, brash character like Ric Flair. If you're a yeah. wrestling fan, Woo, yep. and and you know, I was just uh, that's the character I played, and then I would leave. None of these people really knew me outside of that milieu, so they didn't know. No one watched my YouTube channel. They certainly didn't know I was working on a feature film, Tango Shalom, that I produced and edited that is all about tolerance of different kinds of people. Yeah. You know, they just come right, right out and branding me an alt-right racist. And I'm like, that's about the furthest thing I am. And, and clearly you don't even know any of my work. And I, I, it was just, it was frustrating. It was frustrating to see that kind of thing happen. Yeah. So... But in a way, everything happens for a reason because I guess that happening, you just focus on your own brand instead of helping somebody else's right. brand and look where you're at now. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And I think that um, that uh, was definitely something that I learned. I yeah. mean, you just have to be, you have to be very, very careful mm. uh when you're, 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 you have to, you just have to manage your online persona mm-hmm. and make sure that people really understand where it is that, um, you know, you're coming from. So people understand you yeah. and it's, it's tough. I mean, we are navigating a world. I mean, I think unfortunately there's a lot of people that when you can go after somebody online or cancel them or go, whatever you want to call it, people do feel a satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and without any concern, like you can go online and accuse somebody of anything and, and cause a Twitter mob to go after somebody without understanding that, you know, you might be the breadwinner of a family. And by this kind of thing, you can destroy someone's livelihood just a few with a few uh, keystroke clicks and not. And I think there's a lot of that that people don't understand. And, and the whole my whole YouTube channel is built around the idea that every single person you meet has a, I say on every show, has a story to tell that you have yet to hear. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is listen. And I believe that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I believe that most people, what I, what I don't understand is, is uh, in this country, it's become so divisive between whether it's political parties or whatever, you're on one side of an issue or the other. But if you're all Americans, you've got to have common ground yeah. in which to be able to talk to one another. And if you don't have that, where are we as a, as a nation, exactly. I, I don't know the answer, but it's certainly this year has has been a very strange year. Uh, and, you know, the whole Trump presidency, people were very divided about that. And I, I think we need to start to get back. And I don't even know if we if people have the skill anymore to talk to each other yeah. without getting angry, like to really sit down and listen and try and understand where people are coming from, because we become so tribal. Everything is about my team. I, I have to believe everything. Like, I have a lot of friends. I am, um, I consider myself a classical liberal. I definitely have left, I lean left. Mm-hmm. But I have a lot of friends that are conservative Republicans that I like very much. We can talk. You know, we can have conversations and we don't get mad at one another. And I still respect them. And that's how I learn. And there's a lot of people, I mean, we've, one side's constantly vilifying the other, like, Oh, how can you be a Democrat and be able to talk to Republicans? I'm like, because we all believe in American government, you know, and and, and there's no reason for me. I don't uh, blanket hate 
conservatives or Republicans. That's the dumbest thing ever. And there's a lot of like Republican, what used to be Republican fiscal policies I believed in. I guess I would be fiscally, I'm sort of conservative. You know, it makes me worried when America is racking up a massive foreign debt. That's not a good thing. You know, when we're buying things on way too much credit and we're very overextended and our the, the country's printing more money and shoving it into the economy without any consequence. These are bad things. And these are these are things that I think that we shouldn't be doing. What does that make me conservative or Republican? I don't think so, but it makes me fiscally conservative and I can find common ground with Republicans. And I think that's where we need to be. I mean, I don't understand why people have become like yapping a chihuahuas at one another. Like, <laughs> You know, I mean, let's talk, man. Yeah. Aren't we all Americans? And if we're all Americans, then we believe in things like the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. And if that if you believe in those things, then we have common ground from which to talk to one yeah. another. Like, like, Rob, what do you think about this? Because there's people arguing to vaccinate or not to vaccinate. Because people are saying, well, the vaccination is not approved by the FDA, but they want everybody to be vaccinated, especially like, you know, the Johnson & Johnson, the Moderna and the Pfizer. There's like side effects and people are afraid to do it. What's your take on people getting vaccinations or not getting vaccinations? Well, I think, look, <clears throat> if you see what's happening in India right now, Mm -hmm. uh, COVID is, is, has completely, they've lost control of it. They're burning bodies out, outdoors because so many people are dying. I mean, they were losing 300,000 people like a day or something and are 300,000 infections. I don't know how many people are dying, but yeah. I was reading, I mean, it's huge. COVID was a, is a very real thing. And I think that they're unfortunately, because it was so politicized from the beginning, Oh, you know, whether it came out of a Chinese lab, which there is there is evidence to suggest that it it does mm -hmm. or it did because COVID seems to be what's called a gain of function virus, which which means as it as it infects more and more people, the reason there's variants and things like that is it's gaining function in a way that's not natural. And mm -hmm. why is that? I mean, maybe it's just a new disease. Who knows? The fact is. Whatever you believe, because it was so politicized at first, and because the Chinese always want to save face, and they didn't want the, they still don't want all the information to come out, because it's all politicized. We don't know enough. We don't know as much about the origins of COVID as we should. And to me, when it comes to things like vaccinations, I mean, I when I was a kid, polio vaccines. I was vaccinated for the for the measles or whatever. Vaccines are a good thing. Over the last 150 years with all the different vaccines that they've created, they've only helped humanity. Mm -hmm. It is true that these new uh, vaccines, there's a, the, the trials are going on with a lot of these vaccines until 2023. Mm -hmm. um, they are not approved and they won't be approved until 2023. They're still, they're still looking. However, currently, you know, hundreds of millions of people have been vaccinated and it is true. There have been side effects for certain people, but, uh, the majority of people have not had side effects. And I think, look, in this day and age, and with my the, the age that I am, I would prefer, like I'm a person that's always believed in science. Mm -hmm. I, I prefer, I have had my first Moderna shot. I get my second one on the 11th of May. Oh, wow, okay. I had I had no problem with it. I mean, my sister uh, is, is completely anti-vaccination. You know, she's very religious and, and she believes a lot of it. Oh, it's this strange plot or whatever. And she's constantly sending me information about people who had reactions to things. But um, but that's 
that's going to happen. Uh-huh. And I believe that, look, I don't want to risk my life because I'm at an age now where I'm, I'm a higher risk than I was if I was, say, 20. Uh-huh. And I, I, you know, I've locked down. I, we, I haven't had a problem during, uh, I've been going to the grocery store the whole time during lockdown. Our grocery stores locally here, our Vons was very good from the beginning. They started, you couldn't go in. They would have somebody there at the door greeting you, hitting you with uh, hand sanitizer. Everybody had to wear masks. So I haven't had a problem, but I have known people who contracted COVID and died. Now they were older. Um, and it was, it was, uh, it was a complete bummer. And I, I feel that, but their health was questionable anyway. But I, I, I am a person that believes in medical science. And if you look at over, over the past, you know, like I said, 100 years of, of the vaccinations that they've been able to come up with, our human life over the 20th century, the human life expectancy around the world grew uh, by decades, decades. And that was because of medical science advances in medical science and for me to suddenly de- decide to say okay is it safe well they don't quite know everything is this all a big experiment yes but they had been uh, experimenting with coronavirus vaccines for a very long time and it's not like they just started you know yesterday and came up with oh here's something that we think might work i mean these were things that had been in the, in process for a long time so you know for the most part i mean of course being a science fiction horror fan, like if it, remember in the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith, they came up, it's a cancer cure. Yeah. And of course, they, they administer it to everybody and then a couple months down the line, nope, we're all turning into vampire zombies. <laughs> well, I guess that could happen too. Yeah. <laughs> but for the, time, for the time being, I do believe in getting vaccinated. We, uh, otherwise, if not, we would wind up in a scenario like what's going on in India right now. Yeah. And it's interesting because it was so politicized over during the, the election cycle and people are like, well, this is just a Democratic plot to make sure Trump doesn't get elected. But if you look at what's going on in the rest of the world, like India, uh, it's not a Democratic plot. And it is a very real disease that is decimating what was going on in Brazil, what's happening in India. I mean, it's 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 terrible, terrible, terrifying. And um we wouldn't want that to happen here. And I think the vaccination program that's happened in 2021, what, like some 200 million American adults or Americans are vaccinated and we're watching cases plummet. I mean, the, the, um, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. So no, I, I'm I, a believer. Yes. You're a believer. You got it done. And so far you've been okay. You get your, your second one you said next on the 11th, on the yeah, 11th? which I think, I mean, I would expect it'll probably knock me on my ass because I've heard a lot of people say that it does. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but that's how it's supposed to. That's how it's supposed to work. You know, I mean, you're, you've basically introduced COVID into your body and you're teaching your, your body how to respond to it. And then when you get that second dose, that's if you get knocked on your ass, that's showing that it's working. Oh, wow. You know, it's responding. It's it's fighting off what is in your body and that's how that's how it works and if that happens i mean i would expect some people don't get any any um you know any side effects but i would imagine it it might probably hit me hard but you never know i mean i i'm not i don't get sick very much like i'll get a cold every year you know i might and that's about it i mean i might get a um 
you know, a fever once a year or something. But I'm, I'm a pretty healthy person, knock on wood. <laughs> well, so you don't get allergies, any post-nasal drip? You don't get none of that stuff? Well, I, I used to. Uh, oh. When I was a kid, I had horrible hay fever. But oh. I got shots for that. And um, it was terrible. I got shots for years, like every week or month or something. I don't remember. I had to get shots. And um, so I, I might – there might be one day in the spring where I'll, I'll be um, – I'll feel the effects of hay fever. When I was overseas, when I worked on like Lord of the Rings and I was in New Zealand working on the documentaries, or when I was in Bulgaria making Hills Run Red, we were shooting in the woods oh, in June. Oh man, it was brutal. That was that, oh, that was like, oh, now I'm feeling all yeah. that hay fever stuff. I had to take antihistamines. I'm like, oh my god, but that's because you're in the woods. Yeah, you know, you're just breathe. We're in the woods shooting this horror movie, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> so there was a couple nights where it was brutal. <laughs> oh man, um, I, I I know we deviated off the subject to talk about this, but I, I just wanted to know your take on it. But um, going back to hood movies, I agree with your selections there. Um. And and are you a fan of like uh, comedy hood movies like Three Strikes, um, called The Wash, oh, Friday? Yes, The know. Wash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, but you know what I think is so great about those kinds of films is you're dealing with. I love dealing with cultures that I'm not a part of. Oh. Okay. You know whether it's whether it's black culture, Latino culture. Uh, Chinese culture, Korean culture, like that's why you watch a movie like Minari that was up for Academy Awards. It won uh, won an Academy Award this year. I, I love movies about cultures that I'm not a part of mm -hmm. because I think if they're good, whether they're comedies, whether they're dramas, you learn. I that's I look obviously they're fictional, but I feel like the, the best of them are made by people that usually come from those communities. So. If there's that authenticity, I think you learn something. Yeah, you know, and you can learn to appreciate. I think movies about other cultures uh, are are helpful, and uh, I I enjoy them very much, especially when they feel uh, authentic. Yeah, it's crazy because like all the movies that were nominated and like Oscar, I have not seen not one of them. I'm like, oh my god! Like I I don't know if I'm the norm on this, but. These movies I haven't even heard of until after that. And I think the viewership for the Oscars was low. Um, why do you think less people heard of that now? Because of the quarantine situation? Or nothing was pretty much distributed out there? Well, yeah. I mean, I think, look, I think a lot of these movies, good movies, are, are debuting on streaming services. Yeah. And they just, they come out there and they have no, they don't have any wider footprint. Like, you know, if before, if you have a studio Oscar movie and people are going to the movies, people are going to the movies and telling their friends, like, oh, my God, we went to the movies last night and we saw this thing and it was great. But when something's on streaming, people don't talk about it as much because mm -hmm. it's like, well, you just went to a store and or you went to a store, you went to your streaming service and watched it. And it's it, it doesn't have the cultural footprint that a movie that comes out in the theaters does. Yeah. Because, when you know, when you're going to see a movie, when you're actually planning on it or you're taking time out of your day and you're going somewhere and you're seeing a movie you know paying your money buying your popcorn then maybe going out to dinner afterwards and talking about it the movie gains more significance in your in your mind it's more important yeah. and none of these movies were were in theaters yeah so you know people talk about i'm like where are these movies i've never heard of them i'm not reading the reviews online i mean i'm not they have no imprint so people they, they just didn't register with people 
Yeah. And I think that's a bummer, uh, but it's just, I think it's the reality of the situation that we were all in. And I think there was no, uh, I think also that there was a lack of, like all of these movies were like slice of life films Mm -hmm. and they weren't so much like, they weren't Hollywood movies. They didn't feel big. Like even I think about movies that are, if you think about great romance, romance movies, like whether it's out of Africa or, uh, English Patient, that won Best Picture, which is based on a book. These are like these sweeping epic tales. They're bigger than life. And now it feels like all the movies that were up for the Oscars were these indie movies with an indie sensibility. Now, some of them, Judas and the Black Messiah, for instance, I mean, that's a historical epic. Same with uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. And those had a bit more of Hollywood to them, quote unquote. But they still feel... Mm, you know, indie in a way where I think people are missing this year. Where's the glitz? Where's the glamour? And we don't have those kinds of movies anymore. You're either seeing that stuff on streaming services, but the studios are now making all this escapist fare. And, and instead of they used to do both. And you used to have, I mean, Fox Studios, uh, they bought Searchlight. When, when Disney bought Fox, Searchlight, which put out Nomadland, they've won many Oscars, and, uh, and Miramax is kind of gone. So these companies that the studios had, or, or these mini-majors that were releasing these kinds of films, a lot of them are few and far between now. So we're just not getting the kind of movies that we used to get. And I think that the world has kind of changed. Mm-hmm. There's so much different entertainment now. I mean, YouTube, even people, I spend a lot of my time watching YouTube videos. <laughs> you know, and yeah. and it doesn't matter whether it's a sit down conversation with, say, Joe Rogan and some interesting person I'll watch for three hours because you don't see that anywhere else. And I think video games have become so much fun and so, so sophisticated that you can sit down and play like Ghosts of Tsushima and, and you feel like it's like a movie. Even though you're the main player, you've had an experience. And I think that um, movies used to be the only game in town. And in terms of that kind of thing. And, and now there's a lot more uh, choices and there's a lot more um, things to do. So movies themselves, their position in our culture has changed. Yeah. And especially like for younger people. I mean, people still love movies, but, you know, you go on YouTube and, and no one's delineating. Like, I'll give you an example. My own film, Tango Shalom, that's out now that I produced and edited. I worked on that movie on and off for five years. And... Um, it's two hours long. I go yeah. on and do a stream on my own YouTube show for two hours, and I can get sometimes 50,000 people who've watched that stream. And I just did that live in a day. Yeah. Well, it's still two hours of time. So is the two hours of Tango Shalom, uh, are people going to find that more entertaining than the two hours of my live stream on YouTube? So, you, you know, you have to ask yourself, like, so much time and effort and thousands and thousands of hours went into crafting Tango Shalom, which is an independent movie. Well, it, it comes down to even I am like, wow, I've wanted to make movies my whole life. And here's this movie, Tango Shalom, that I made and I'm so proud of. But it took five years of my life and I can go on and touch just as many people if I do a YouTube stream. Yeah. And I think you have to ask yourself, what is more valuable? How how do you how do you spend time? And it's it's an interesting question. Yeah, it's just it like it, you know it's 
You're right. You know, and the thing is, like, a lot of people look at streaming like it's like television. Like, I'm not, not like, I don't know, like, there's really like, regular people that I talk to who are not really into the movie space like that. Like, for example, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I'm like, you, guys, you got to watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, oh, I don't watch TV. I said, it's not TV. It's like six hour mini movies. Like, no, nah, it's yeah. a TV show. I don't want to see that. You know, but it's like, like, people are not comprehending that you don't need to go to the movies to see a movie to be classified as a movie even though they're like our episodes they're like mini movies you know but there's people that don't understand that like you know it's just hard to explain you know but there are yeah but there are many movies but i don't know i think everybody's you know i think the normal people are pretty much saying like you know like all right if i can't go to the movies then i can't see a movie it's not a movie to me you know so yeah no I, absolutely and and it's it's just all it's all different you know things are changing and, and evolving and it, but that's the way of the world yeah um rob um how do you feel you evolved as a person from um three years ago or let, let's put it like this from when you started collider when john schnepp invited you to the panel on collider heroes till 2021 the notorious, the icon of YouTube, RMB. How have you evolved? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, th- I think in a way, uh, being on on YouTube has made me. Um, you know, I think I, I think I enjoy my life a little bit more really because i i do because i think one it's in a way it's been freeing because i've been able to share my my enthusiasm with other people and that enthusiasm seems to have been well received so i get a lot of positive energy back people write me and and uh send me things and reach out to me and i've had so many different and interesting conversations with people and also you know i used to feel that if my life if my career i wasn't making something if I didn't have a movie going or a TV series going, or if I didn't have something that I was working on that gave me self-worth, I would get bummed out, maybe even depressed. Like, I'm tired of all this work. I mean, I I work so hard and nothing's happening. But when you're on YouTube, it has become its own reward. You know, doing the show and and, and knowing that I've got a subscriber count almost of 40,000 people on my own YouTube channel and it's growing all the time. And you realize that, you know, on like I'll do a video if a video takes off it might get 50,000 or 100,000 views like around the world and to me that's that's an amazing thing that people people 100,000 people will watch a video of just you talking that 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 they find find value in that and you you forget because you know I wanted to be a storyteller and tell stories and I was sort of in a way I had my own personal prejudice that well it better be a movie or it better be TV or I'm not going to be doing my job but now I feel like wow it's just me you know, when you do your, your channel and you go on and you talk, you're, what you're offering up is sort of yourself, uncut, unfiltered. You know? mm-hmm. um, there's no baby powder in my, my yayo. It's just me, you know, <laughs> uh, or sugar or whatever. Just me. Here I am talking. And if you don't, if you don't like me, and that would be, um, uh, it, 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 it's sort of a, it's a cool thing. Yeah, and I think in a way that's given me, it's it's made me realize, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends that are sort of depressed about the state of their careers, and you know, I if I feel depressed about the state of my career, I just 
turn on my camera and start talking and then people show up and ask me questions and we have interactions and people send me letters. You know, one of the things I encourage is, is send me letters and I read them on the air. So there's a lot of interactivity going on and, and it's, uh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Question for you. Um, have you ever thought about writing an autobiography about your life or actually doing a videography about your life of the early years of the icon of YouTube, the notorious RMB, to the person you are now? Have you ever thought about doing something like that? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I could go back and look at a lot of my YouTube shows because I've told so many stories about my career. But I have because people have asked me to, uh, you know, I've thought if I could make a couple of more movies, I've only directed one movie. If I could direct like I always wanted in my mind, I always wanted to direct five movies in my life. Okay. But if I could now, I'm like, if I could get an, an one or two more, uh, I would love to write a, a book and I would I even have the title for it because I was I was at the in the at the Cannes Film Festival in 1999 with Free Enterprise. It was in the film market. It wasn't in the in competition. But I did this funny thing, and somebody took a picture of me. I was diving into a pool, fully clothed, <laughs> and it, the picture was in Empire magazine. And the caption of that photograph was, "Another nameless American director." in a shameless act of self-promotion. And <laughs> the, I'm like the perfect title. I'm like, that's that's the title of my autobiography. Oh my god, that's another perfect. nameless director in a shameless act of self-promotion. That's it. Oh. And um you know, it it, it would have to be uh, uh, how, uh, something and the subtitle would be uh barely ha- barely hanging on a life in Hollywood or something like that. <laughs> Um, winding down, Rob, I definitely want to talk to you about Star Trek because I know that's your passion and your heart. And, you know, I, I love Star Trek as well. Um, what are your predictions for Picard? Because I think I, I super chatted this to you and I said, I believe um, Q is going to make Picard human again. Like, that's just, that's what I'm going on. For That's the reason I have to, like, I have to say that to myself. Like, that's the whole reason he's dead is to, so he could, Q is back to make him alive again. Um, with the Discovery and Picard um, and Lower Decks, like, what's your... I know you talked about it um, in Nauseam on different channels, but I want your take on this. What's your what's your opinion about Star Trek now as a whole? Well, overall, I think... I don't think it's Star Trek anymore. Okay. And I think what, what has happened is even the Lower Decks, the animated show, which is snarky, and there's some Star Trek-isms in there, but I think Picard and and uh, Discovery and whatever else they're doing, they're dystopian shows. And what they're missing is they pay lip service to them being inspiring to those people in the future, but they're not. And they're not showing humanity coming together and and um, collectively uh, working for the greater good. I think especially Picard, it wallows in murder and death and destruction. And to the point where I thought they completely destroyed the character of Jean-Luc Picard to the last episode when they literally killed Picard yeah. and resurrected him as an android. He's not Picard anymore. He's dead. Yeah. It's a facsimile of, of Picard. And and I, I find that very distressing. And I would say that, on the other hand, Ron Moore, who worked on TNG, uh, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, he has created a show called For All Mankind, which is far more Star Trek than any Star Trek that's on today. Yeah. So. And what about, yeah, well, and, and, um, 
you're not a fan of Lower Decks as well, right? Lower Decks. I mean, Lower Decks is all right, but it's a it's you know yeah. it's a comedy. It's a send yeah. up of Star Trek, and I'm like, well, there's a there's some warmth in it, but I, I just that's not what I want from Star Trek. You mm-hmm. know, once you get down to a parody of something, it's been around too long. And I, I know a lot of people love it, especially sci-fi fans, because we love our parodies. We love our <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. I've seen that episode. I, I look at, like, Ambu Jitsu. Someone's wearing the Ambu Jitsu from, from the second season of TNG, and there's the Reliant, and there's this. I mean, just because you're showing me touchstones of Star Trek that I'm very familiar with already doesn't mean I'm going to like your show. Yeah. You know, tell me something new. Yeah. Um. Why you think... Um. Paramount hasn't looked to you like I know they know of you like you are passionate about Star Trek like why haven't they said you know what Robert is right about this shit like you know we should get him aboard well, like what the unfortunately you know Hollywood is very tribal as well and I've never worked in television I mean I've directed episodes of Femme Fatales but I've never worked as a writer or a creator on a TV show so I have no credibility mm. for that and it's unfortunate but I, I don't yeah. <laughs> uh, hey, listen, I only yeah. have a few more minutes. Okay, um, winding down with you, our last question for you, Robert. Um, Midnight Metal is, I think, probably one of your greatest spinoff shows besides <laughs> Observations. I think there's something special about that because it's spontaneous. Um, um, how long do you think you could do Midnight Metal for? Because so far you've been like, you know, going ahead with other shows, observations, you know, whining about movies. How far you think Midnight Metal can go, and will you get more drunk on Midnight Metal? Uh, people love Midnight Metal. I, I think I have to curtail the liquor, but, but still, you gotta <laughs> drink. It's midnight, and it's metal, man. <laughs> it was such a funny thing that it kind of it came. It it it. it, it well, I I was talking about. Like, how do you feel about Zack Snyder's Justice League? I'm like, it's so metal. <laughs> and I was just saying, like, kind of as a joke, and I'm like, people are like, well, what does that mean? What is metal? And I go, you know, everyone knows what metal is. It's <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League. And so that's that kind of came out of that. And that's why I started the show. It's just this funny lark. And suddenly people liked it. And again, because we do it at midnight, you have a whole different live audience on the other side of the planet. And so there's a whole bunch of new people, and it's been great. I love it. I think you're the first one to actually, you know, you know, find the niche on that. Like, you know what? There's people who, you know, it's it's early in the morning in other places, and you're live on midnight, so it works out yeah. for a lot of places. You know, works out for a lot of people. It's pretty great. Yeah, Rob, promote your social media. Promote promote all your stuff that you got going on. Well, you can see Tango Shalom, the movie, at various festivals now around the country. Look for that. If they have Jewish film festivals near you, find it there. Hopefully, it'll be streaming soon. Uh, Dota Dragon's Blood, the adult anime series that I worked on, is currently streaming on Netflix, the first book or the first season, all eight episodes. Check that out. And, of course, you can find me on Twitter all the time at BurnettRM or find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett or find me uh, on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and its adjacent website, TheBurnettWork.net. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the icon of YouTube, the notorious RMB. Robert, thank you so much for coming on again. And um, I'll look forward to watching you on Midnight Metal tonight. Thank you, sir.